Bless the Lord. Go with me to, book, to the book of Matthew chapter 12. We began a series a number of weeks ago. We're calling a house undivided. Is this helping anybody? Over the last several weeks, man, I'm telling you, it is helping me. I know that we are hearing from God. If I didn't know that, I think we would have shifted gears and changed directions a long time ago because without His help, it's so dry. It's so boring. I remember as a youth pastor, one Wednesday night I stood up and preached to the teenagers for I don't know how long, an hour or so, and I got to the end of it and I just looked at them and there was this long, awkward pause and I said, well, that was boring. <laughs> and they just sort of looked at me like, yeah, it really was. <laughs> and I just feel for them. And that's what it's like when you don't have the help of the Spirit of God in it. And I, I, I've done it more times than I want to admit. But I'm so thankful to stand here in front of you today and tell you, I know the Lord is helping us. Amen? I know the Lord is strengthening us and we are talking about the right things. He has put us at this place in scripture for a specific reason and a specific time. I believe it has everything to do with what he wants to accomplish in this house. I believe it has to do with what he wants happening in your house. And I believe the things that we're talking about right now are imperative and do apply to what's going on in our nation. We're seeing some things that none of us have ever seen, not in our lifetime. And we're seeing some things happen around the world and the, everything from the medical crisis to the political unrest to the, to the cultural unrest. All of these things are inter interconnected. And there is a spirit of strife that tries to drive people and drive whole nations. And what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 12 is still just as relevant today as it was the day he said it. It says in Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. This is talking about an attack from within, not another kingdom coming against the kingdom, not another city coming against a city, and not another house coming against a house. But all of this he's talking about is something that's going on inside the kingdom, inside the city, inside the house. And that same spirit of strife that we're watching, and you can watch day in, day out, on a 24-hour news cycle that's trying to rip this nation, this kingdom, if you will, apart... It's the same stinking stuff that tries to creep into your house and mine. None of us are exempt from Satan's attempt to divide us with strife. His devices are so simple. The scripture makes it so clear. He, here's what he wants to do time and time again. He starts with trying to deceive. Because if he can deceive us, he can divide us. If he can deceive the people in the house into believing that the other people in the house are the real problem, then he can bring division into the house. And if he can deceive us, he can divide us. And if he can divide us, according to Jesus, we can be destroyed. That's Satan's whole plan of attack right there. Deceive, divide, destroy. But the good news is, if you won't be deceived, then we won't be divided. And if we won't be divided, then we cannot be destroyed. That excites me. That stirs me up when I think about that and I apply it to the future of this house. Because that's what we're building here is a house. And if we want this house to last, if we want this house to stand, if you want your house to last and to stand, then there's no room for division. 
And if you go all the way back to where we began in this a number of weeks ago, we looked at the life of Abram. In the book of Genesis chapter 13, it talks about how there was some strife that had arisen between Abram's uh, herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And Abram went to Lot, and these are the words he said. He said, please, let there be no strife between us. Please. Every word of this is important. Please, let there be no strife between us. Truly spiritual people don't tolerate strife. They don't put up with it in their home. They don't put up with it in their lives. Spiritual people, people with a heart after God, don't tolerate strife. Now, you have to be careful when you hear that because your, your response is to try to go militantly shut strife down. We're not having strife in this house, so <laughs> shut up and do what I say. <laughs> That's not the way to end the strife. Did you hear not just what Abram said, but how he said it? What was the first word out of his mouth? Please. What does that do to the atmosphere? Huh? It softens the whole thing. You can take something that's a volatile situation where emotions are already charged and everybody's already tense and it's like one more, one more wrong look, one more wrong tone and this thing is going to explode. You can turn that whole thing down with a kind word. Please, let there be no strife between us. You know, we've talked beginning that week and over the... the uh, weeks that follow, we talked about these different things that try to come into a house to tear a house apart, to try to divide a house. We've talked for the last several weeks about offense and what Jesus said about it in the book of Matthew thir chapter 13, Mark chapter 4. He said, Satan comes immediately to steal the word, but when he can't steal the word because it's, it's been planted, what he tries to do is put pressure on you. Because if he can put pressure on that word through persecution, through tribulation, he can try to get you offended at that word. And Jesus said the word will not work. That, that seed can't produce in an offended heart. And that's what pressure is all about. It's all about trying to, to offend or get between and separate people who were close. There's so much more we could talk about with that, but the bottom line is the word cannot work in an offended heart. You remember we talked about a number of weeks ago, it's a trap. It's a trap. And it's a trap that when people get stuck in it, they get offended, they get stuck there. I have noticed that most people who are stuck in that trap don't even want help out. They'd rather you come get in the trap with them. Instead of you saying, come on, let's get out of this. Come on, come on, forgive. Let this thing go. Let's move on. Let's keep moving. No, I like my trap. I want to stay stuck right here. And it's a dangerous, dangerous trap to be stuck in. And these things can tear apart, can bring division to a house. Sarah talked to us last week about that root of bitterness. What a powerful word. If you didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to it. It's on the Legacy Church podcast. Listen to it again and again and again. And don't let bitterness take root because it'll bring division into a house. And that house cannot stand where there's division. So we've talked about a number of things that try to divide a house. You know what I want to do today? 
I want to talk about something that keeps the house together. I want to talk about something that keeps us undivided. Go to the book of 1 John with me, chapter 1. And I would love some help with this today. So if you hear something that seems good to you, say something about it for crying out loud. No, I mean cry out loud. Amen. Glory to God. Give me some help today. This is some good stuff. Help me out. I'm getting help right now. Thank you. First John chapter one. Let's begin reading in verse three. First John one three says that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have. Say that word with me. Fellowship. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at it one more time. That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And then he turns around in the exact same verse, in the same breath, talks about the fellowship that we have with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Everybody say the word fellowship. Fellowship. A house undivided is a house that has good fellowship. Good fellowship, sweet fellowship. This word fellowship, you you look it up, it, it literally means to share. It's one of the first things you were taught when you were little. You were one years old, two years old, share. And you had to be taught to share because one big reason you didn't want to. It didn't come naturally to share. But there are things that you and I share with each other that extend beyond natural physical things. We can share thoughts with each other. We can share words. We can share emotions and feelings. We share experiences. That's what this word fellowship is. It's to share. It's the same word translated communion or communication. And here's the thing about it. You were built for it. You were made for it. There is a God-born, God-given craving on the inside of every human that longs for fellowship. We were were created for it. We were created for fellowship. This is why God created man to begin with. Let us make man in our image. But then you, you know one of the first things he said about man after he saw him? There was nothing wrong with the creation. The only thing he said that was wrong was it's not good for him to be alone. You were created for fellowship. The only thing God looked at in creation and said this is not good was loneliness. You go back and look at the Genesis account and everything God did, what did he say? It's good. Oh, that was good. God stepped back at the end of the day and said, yeah, that's good. I like that's good. That's good. But when it came to man, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. We were created for fellowship. That was the reason God created man to begin with. That was the reason God gave man woman and woman man was for fellowship. There's an inborn desire in every single one of us for this sharing. 
And fellowship requires two or more people. It cannot be done alone. It's not a game of solitaire. It can't, it can't be done alone. It requires somebody else. Fellowship. Say it again. Fellowship. A house undivided is a house that has good fellowship. You see, we have to talk about these things because it's not enough to say no strife in the house. No strife, no strife, no strife. That's good. But you know what? Two people can sit in silence for decades without strife. They're not arguing, right? And, and that sounds like a good start. But there's something more. I said there's something more. There's more to an undivided house than just what it doesn't have. It's what it does possess. And what a good, strong, undivided house does possess is good, strong fellowship. It's fellowship. We were created for fellowship. And because we were created for fellowship, you know what that means? That means we have the capacity for it. God created us for, for fellowship with the capacity to fellowship with him. Oh, come on. That's big right there. That is huge right there. That says something about you. That says something about the level that he created you on, the capacity that you have to hear from him, to communicate and to commune with him. We know that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. We know that. He came to the garden. Adam, where are you at? Where are you? Here is this almighty, ancient one, creator of heavens and earth, possessor of all knowledge, who's been since before time communicating with you and with me. And not only could we hear it, but we could receive it. And we could respond to it. We were created for fellowship with the capacity to fellowship. And not only that, but like we talked about a moment ago, this is our calling. We were created to fellowship with the capacity to fellowship and we are called to it. Like we said earlier in our offering, we talked about people wanting to know what their calling is. And anytime somebody says that to me, Jeremy, would you pray with me? I just want to know what God's called me to do. Without fail, every time I point him back to the scriptures that say, this is what you're called to do. This is your calling. For example, let me read this to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Maybe we can put this on the screen for you. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. Look at it again. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's your calling. Your calling is to fellowship with Him. The Amplified Classic Bible says it like this. God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to His promise, and He can be depended on by Him you were called into companionship and participation with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You were called to fellowship. Called into companionship. Like we read a few minutes ago in Mark chapter 6, Jesus called the twelve to Himself. You were created for it, with the capacity for it, and the calling for it. 
That's why there's a craving for it on the inside. To fellowship with somebody. Somebody to share life with. To do life with. To talk to. And, you know, we laugh sometimes about this. Husbands laugh at wives. Wives laugh at husbands. You know the old joke, men, what is it? Men speak 5,000 words a day and women speak 15 with gusts to 20,000 words a day. And Oh, ha, 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 women talk a lot. Men don't talk very much. Ha, ha, ha. Well, I, I know that we have natural tendencies and natural propensities, but we were created for something deep. We were created for something sweet. And it's no wonder that this word fellowship is also translated communication. Fellowship is the intimacy that you and I arrive at with each other through our words, through the sharing of our thoughts and our, our, our experiences, our emotions. You've heard me tell the story about when Sarah and I first met. We, we didn't live in the same place. She lived in Branson, Missouri. I lived in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's a whole long story, but we met uh, first week of March 2007, and we spent hours and hours and hours talking to each other. Those three days that I was in Branson, we stayed up all night talking. And then when I got home, the very first thing I did was pick up the phone and call her. And we would spend all night on the phone. And whole weeks would go by, sometimes longer, months, and we wouldn't see each other. But the whole time, we're still falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love. And it's a whirlwind testimony. I've told you the story before. But looking back on it now, in that moment, it was hard. We had this longing, this yearning to want to be physically present with each other. But I look back on it now, and I'm so thankful for the way the Lord did it, because our relationship got built on the words that we had with each other. And we had a lot of words, man. I'm telling you, it was all night long. We would talk on the phone. And she'd have to get up the next day and go teach second grade at the little Christian school she was teaching at. I'd have to get up the next day and go to the, to the church office where I was working and come dragging in. And I didn't care, man. I'm high on love, right? I'm just... <laughs> I'm falling deeper and deeper and deeper every day, but it wasn't something built on anything physical. It wasn't, anything, it wasn't something built on anything uh, that, that, that could be seen naturally. We weren't even in the same state with each other, much less the same room. All we had were words. This fellowship was built on the words that we had with each other. Now, this scripture that we're looking at in 1 John talks about and it's no coincidence, no accident, that he talks about first our fellowship with each other and our fellowship with God in the same breath. Because these two things are connected. I said these two things are connected. And an undivided house has good fellowship. Listen to what he said in verse 4. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. These things we write to you that your joy may be full may be full. Do you guys have that in the Amplified Classic? If you do, put that one on the screen for us. He said, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. In other words, there is something in you that can only be satisfied through fellowship. Go to verse four. Listen to the way he said it here. He's saying, we write these things to you that we would enjoy fellowship as partners and partakers with us, and that this fellowship that we have 
which is a, oh, I can't wait, distinguishing mark of Christians. This is one of the things that makes us who we are, is our fellowship with each other. It's a distinguishing mark of Christians. Is It's with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Next verse. And we are now writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you, uh, seeing you included may be full and your joy, he said, may be complete. What I'm trying to tell you is that this space that God created to be filled with fellowship cannot and will not be filled by anything else. Nothing else will satisfy. You can do everything. You can, you can uh, work hard. You can make a lot of money. You can buy a lot of stuff. And you can try to fill that space. But unless there's sweet fellowship, unless there's a sharing of life and experience with each other and with the Lord, that place will never be filled on the inside. It can't be filled with money. It can't be filled with cars and houses. It can't be filled with stuff. It can't be filled with drugs and alcohol. It cannot be filled with anything but what we were created for, this fellowship. There's joy in it. Go to the book of John with me, chapter 15. While you're looking for that, let me read to you what the Bible said in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is talking about the early days of the church when this church was just exploding and 3,000 people had just been added to the church. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. You look back on the beginning days of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and if you're looking for the catalyst to its growth and miraculous growth, explosive growth. Yes, there was the preaching of the word. Signs, wonders, miracles, all of it. But right in the middle of it was this fellowship. People had found other people to do life with. And they had something in common. And that's where fellowship has to start. Maybe you've heard me give this illustration before, but you take two people who got set up on a blind date. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. Thank God I have not. But I've seen movies. I've heard stories. And people get set up and they don't know each other, right? I mean, all they have is a mutual friend who thinks maybe I know somebody you'll like and I know somebody you'll like and let me set you guys up. And they sit down together They're at a restaurant across the table from each other, man. And that is just awkward and it's full of long, awkward silences and nobody knows what to say. And the guy looks at her and he's like, so do you like stuff? And she's like, yeah, I like stuff and things. And, and it's just awkward and nobody knows what to do or what to say until they figure out what they have in common. Or in other words, what they share, what they share an excitement for, what they share a passion about. If you can find a couple of people who have something in common, even if it's just the one thing, you've got a potential relationship. Yeah. You've got something you can build on. 
And that's why Paul, or not Paul, but John wrote where we we're reading in 1 John. He said, these things that we've seen and we heard, we, we declare them to you so that we can have fellowship together. Because what we've seen and what we've heard from Jesus, it's changed our lives. And, and we want it to change your life. And when it does change your life, now we've got something to talk about. You, you love Jesus? I love Him too. And now we've got a relationship. Now we've got friendship. Now we've got something we can talk, commune, communicate about. Now we've got a fellowship to build this relationship on. We've got something in common. And that's what the early church had. It was not just built around the doctrine. It was not just built around the prayers. It was not just built around the services. It was built around the fellowship that they had with each other. In John chapter 15. Thank you, Lord. Are you helping me with this? Come on, somebody. Some of this is, is new. I, I haven't really taught this just this way before. But I see it so clear. This is such a big part of who we're going to be in the life of this church. Amen. In John chapter 15, just begin in verse 1 here. Let me read several verses to you. Jesus is speaking and He said, I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not, listen, that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. He said in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Neither can you what? Neither can you what? Bear fruit. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, what do we just read from 1 John? What is the source of that joy? What is it? Come on, who, who was here like four minutes ago? Fellowship. Fellowship is the source of the joy. And you know that the joy is the source for your strength, but where's the joy come from? Well, we see it in 1 John. We see it here in John chapter 15. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full or complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love 
one another. So in these, what, 17 verses we just read, pretty plain to see what is on the mind of Jesus, what he's emphatic about, because he said it over and over and over, bear fruit, bear fruit. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I want you bearing fruit and I want you bearing more fruit and more fruit. I mean, how many times did he say it just in these verses? Why would this be so prevalent on the mind of Jesus? Well, if you think about what fruit is, then it's easy to see why he's talking so strongly about it. Fruit is just proof, right? Fruit hanging on the limbs of a tree is proof of what kind of tree that is. When you walk up to a tree that's got fruit hanging off the branches, you don't have to scratch your head. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to do experiments. You don't have to take soil samples or bark samples. You don't have to send it to a lab and wait six to eight weeks for the response. You know what kind of tree it is. Why? Because of the fruit. The fruit is proof. The fruit hanging from those limbs is proof that a seed got sown. Now, even if you weren't the one to sow it, even if you weren't there to see it sown, even if it was sown decades or hundreds of years before you were even born, you still know what kind of seed was sown because of the fruit. If there's apples hanging from the branches, you know an apple seed got sown. And you know because of the fruit that that seed took root. You know that that seed sprouted up. You know, you know that it grew and it grew and it grew. And you know that there was so much life coming up out of those roots, through that trunk, through that vine and down through those branches that eventually that life overflowed in fruit. And the fruit is proof of all of that. And this is why Jesus would be so emphatic about you and I bearing fruit, because fruit in our lives is proof. It's proof that a seed got sown. It's proof that the seed of the word got sown in you, that the seed of the spirit of God was sown in you. It's proof that that seed took root. It's proof that it sprouted up and that it grew and that there was so much life in it that it eventually overflowed in the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of that seed that that got sown. Love in your life is proof. Joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. These are all proof that a seed got sown in you, that the seed took root, that it sprouted up. It's proof. Your life, my life, we are supposed to be living proof there is a God. Because that's what this world is asking for. Prove to me, they say, there's a God. Prove to me there's a God and I'll believe. And your life is supposed to be living proof. Is it? Is mine? Are the lives we're living, are they living proof of the existence of God, of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God? Check this out. Your marriage is supposed to be proof that there's a God. Your house, the atmosphere and the air you breathe in your own home is supposed to be living proof there's a God. And he's good and he's kind and he's faithful and he's patient and he's loving. Our marriages, our families, our relationships, our our physical bodies, our finances, our finances are supposed to be proof. There's a God. There's a God. How many would like your bank account to prove the existence of a good and faithful God? They can. It's supposed to. When that seed takes root. Is it any wonder Jesus would be so emphatic about you and me bearing fruit that he said it over and over and over and over again? And Satan realizes this. 
And this is why he does everything he can to try to disconnect you from whatever is a source of life to you. That's where this offense comes in. As a matter of fact, this all culminated in what Jesus said in chapter 16, verse 1. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. The King James says that you should not be offended. Satan knows that whatever is bringing life to you, if it's the life of God, it's going to produce fruit. And if there's fruit, there's going to be proof. And if there's proof, there's going to be salvation. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be healings and deliverances. And people are going to see it. And they're going to believe not only is there a God, but they're going to believe He's good and He's kind. And what He's done for you, He'll do for them. And because of this very reason, Satan wants nothing more than to get in with offense and separate you from whatever's bringing life to you. Because if he can cut off the flow of life, then he can cut off the fruit. And if there's no fruit, there's no proof. And this is why Jesus said, I'm telling you this so you won't be offended. Don't let anything disconnect you from this life, from this flow. But just as emphatic as he was about me and you bearing fruit, he was just as clear about how. You notice what else he said over and over and over again? Abide. Abide. Say the word abide. abide. Abide in me, Jesus said. Abide in me. He said, let my words abide in you. And then he said, abide in my love. Abide in him. Abide in his word. And abide in his love. Guys, do we have that in the Weist translation? I want to read that to you. Beginning in verse 4, listen to this from the Weiss translation. This is what it means to abide. He said, maintain a living communion. That's what the word abide means. The same way that a branch, if it's going to have any fruit on it, <clears throat> it has to abide in the vine. You can't disconnect the branch from the vine and expect the branch to produce anything. That's why you've never seen a branch laying out there in the driveway with a bunch of fruit hanging off the end of it. Because it possesses no power in itself. It has to stay connected. It has to maintain a living communion. Maintain a living communion with me and I with you. Just as the branch is unable to be bearing fruit, go on, from itself as a source, unless it remains in you a living union with the vine, so neither you. Do you hear that? Just as the branch is unable to be bearing fruit from itself as a source, unless it remains in a living union with the vine, so neither you, unless you maintain a living communion with me. As for myself, Jesus said, I am the vine. As for you, you are the branches. He who maintains a living communion with me and I with him, this one is bearing much fruit because apart from me, you are not able to be doing anything. If anyone is not maintaining a living communion with me, he, has thrown out, he was thrown outside as the branch is and was caused to wither. And they gathered them into the fire and they throw them and they are burned. Listen to, the, listen to this, verse 7. If you maintain a living communion with me and my words are at home in you. 
I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. Thank you, Lord. Answered prayer is fruit. It's proof. When you took the need to the Lord and you didn't look to yourself or anybody else to meet it, and He did, that's fruit. It's proof. And Jesus said, God's glorified by that. But He also was very clear about how that happens. And it's through one way and one way only. Maintaining a living communion. There is nothing more frustrating than trying to put faith principles to work without having this fellowship with the Father. Because on their own, there's very little life in it. And you can make it only so far just on principle alone. But fellowship, this is the way our pastor said it, fellowship is the fountain of faith. I'll say it to you like this. Fellowship is the fountain that faith flows from. There is no faith apart from your fellowship with Him. There is no power apart from your fellowship with Him. And what Jesus is doing in John 15 is calling us into this living communion with Him. It's this call to fellowship with Him. Because He said, without this, you can do nothing. There's no power. There's no power available to you without maintaining this living communion with Him. And He helped us see it. Maintain living communion with Him, with His Word, and with His love. Now, when He talked to us about abiding in His love, He talked to us about the love that we have for each other. So here it is again in the same breath, our fellowship with Him and our fellowship with each other. You can try to kid yourself into thinking you're all good with God while you walk in offense with other people. But it's not true. You cannot abide in God while you disconnect from what is of God. You can't maintain living communion with Him while you disconnect from what is of Him. In other words, your fellowship and mine that we have with each other, husbands that we have with wives, this is as much God as our fellowship is with Him. Maintain this living communion. He said, my words need to be at home in you. I'm going to make a radical statement. And you're going to hear this and you may think I'm an extremist, but I believe it. I believe that Christians should read their Bible. I know. Call me crazy. Call me wild. Call me fanatic. But I think they should. Like every day. Because this is where fellowship with him starts. We don't have fellowship with him apart from the words. Oh, come on. Apart from the words that he's already shared. His word is him. It's him going, you have a craving in you because it's in me. His word sitting in your lap is proof that he craves fellowship with you. Because it's God going, can I share something with you? Can I share this with you? 
And we take it for granted and we, we look at it when we can or when we have time. And when we do, it's interrupted by text message or phone call or, or something, a hundred other things. But it's God going, man, I just, I, I've got this thing in me that's only satisfied by you answering this call to fellowship with me. And it's God looking at us going, I, I, I want to share something with you. Let me share this with you. That's where fellowship starts. It's with that book because it's not just a dead letter. It's a living word and it's his desire to fellowship and it's him when it sits there on your coffee table. It's not just sitting there. It's crying out to you. I want to talk. I got some things I want to say. I want to hear from you. It's crying out to you. It's crying out to me for fellowship. In 2015, that was a big year for us. We, we made our first big purchase in our ministry. We bought some property, a building, and we were doing a lot of construction. And it's basically just a big metal building. And we were building out an office. We were building out a place for our family to live. And in, in that year, we moved out of our house. And there was a little time period where we hadn't moved into the next place yet. And so we lived in a camper for like three months. Uh, the kids lovingly referred to it as prison. And uh, it, was, it was an experience, that's for sure. And, and while we're doing that, while we're building, uh, we're still traveling, traveling domestically, traveling internationally. And I remember getting to the end of that year and being tired, being really tired. Long about October, just starting to feel kind of worn out. And I remember being so just physically and emotionally drained after traveling and traveling and traveling and building and, and moving out of the camper and into the, into the new place. It just, it took a lot out of us. And I remember the kids were little. Justice would have been five years old, Jesse, just two years old or so. And um, we'd get them to bed about 7.30 at night. And as soon as we said goodnight to them, by about 7.38, I was in bed and I would get in bed just worn out from the day. And this happened not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. I would crawl into bed, not to go to sleep, but just to do nothing. And I would look to my nightstand. I would keep my iPad there and have my iPad, a set of headphones, but also on my nightstand was my Bible. And I kind of got into this habit of grabbing the iPad, putting on the headphones and just checking out. Anybody know what I mean by that? Just unhooking, just disconnecting. Just, I just want to veg out. Just let me feed my flesh for the next two or three hours. And this happened, like I said, not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. And it finally got to the place where I get in the bed, 7.30, 7.40, and reach for that iPad. My Bible would be sitting next to it. And I would hear the voice of the Lord say to me, not, not outwardly, not with my ears, but just on the inside. This is what I heard over and over. Jeremy, press into me. Press into me. Now, what I didn't realize in the moment, but I see so clearly now, it was an invitation to fellowship. It was a call to fellowship. But my, my thought process that would happen in a moment of time was, okay, Bible or iPad, Bible or iPad. If I get that Bible, then I'm going to be studying for a message. And if I'm studying for a message, then I'm working and I don't feel like working. So I grabbed the iPad. Now, listen to me. When God becomes your job, something's wrong. When God becomes nothing more than your job, 
Something's wrong because there's no fellowship in that. But I grab the iPad and just check out for hours at a time. I'm embarrassed to even tell you the stupid shows I was watching. I would watch the show and go, this is stupid, and watch another one and another one and another one. Never mind this beautiful, beautiful woman that was laying in the bed next to me. I'm so totally zoned out. I'm so totally checked out. I'm not talking to her. There's no, there's no what? Fellowship. It's me and my iPad until lights out. And I remember long about that time, Sarah and I went away to a meeting in Missouri. My grandparents happened to be at the same meeting. I went over to their hotel to say hey to them. My grandpa starts talking and he said, you know what, Jeremy? He starts preaching to me. He said, I mean, the Lord just dealt with me, stirred me up. He said, if I'm going to get done in my life and ministry, what I'm called to get done, I got no time for television. So you know what I did? I went through and I deleted everything out of my DVR that wasn't preaching the word to me. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, you should do that. Man, I drove away from that encounter. I picked up the phone before I even got back to the house where Sarah was. I said, that's it. We're turning the TV off because I've been watching it for hours on end, days, weeks, months. I said, it's turning off. We're pressing into the word. I thought, man, if this guy who was what, 75 at the time, 50 years into ministry, if he's got to do that, what's that say about me? And man, we did it. We turned those things off. I deleted every TV and movie streaming app that I had and they were gone for like three days <laughs> until I just fell right back into that. I was just trying to check out, trying to just tired. In December of that year, a couple of weeks before Christmas, you got time for this story? I'm not taking one. Sarah and I went to Dallas about an hour away from the house, do some Christmas shopping, get some things done. The kids were home with her parents. And uh, before we came home that night, Sarah's mom called and said, I don't think Jessie's feeling very well. Like I said, she's maybe two years old at the time, not quite two and a half. I said, okay, we'll be home in an hour. We'll check on her. By the time we'd gotten home, she went from not feeling very well to almost unable to breathe. And I remember my little girl just kind of gasping for air. She couldn't speak. Her voice was totally gone. We put her up in the bed with us. And I just went, went to work, man, doing what I was taught to do as a young child, doing what I was brought up to do in the church that I grew up in, doing what I had done countless times before. And I've got my hands laid on her and I'm declaring the word over her and I'm speaking life and healing and health over her. And by the stripes of Jesus, you are well. You are redeemed from the curse of the law. I mean, I'm just going through it, man, going through all of it. And I'll tell you what scared me the most was the total lack of power. I could feel it. I could feel how little was coming out of me. And all night long, she'd doze off to sleep and then wake up gasping for breath, couldn't breathe. She'd wake herself up unable to breathe all night. Now, the next morning, we were able to get her into our family doctor. They identified what it was, gave her, gave her a little drink. She took that, and I'm telling you, within half an hour, an hour, she was better. I was not. I was not. I drove away from the doctor's office in tears before the Lord. I said, Father, why, did, why was it not working? 
It scared me. When I looked in my little girl's eyes and I could see the panic, it wasn't coming out of her mouth. She couldn't talk. It was in her eyes. It was, Daddy, do something. And it scared me. I said, God, where was the power? I've been taught to believe that, that I can do something about this. I've been taught to believe that you're stronger than this. Where was the power? And he just so gently spoke up on the inside of me. You know what he said? He said, Jeremy, you're trying to bear fruit without abiding. And it won't work. And it marked me and it changed me. And I thought, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to be powerless when my daughter can't breathe. I don't have time to, to bear no fruit. But what I realized now was it wasn't just about, I need to read the Bible more. It was about answering the call to fellowship. Not just for my sake and for his, but for my family's sake my children and their health and for the sake of my ministry and my partners and now our church, this congregation that the Lord has entrusted us with, we don't have time to do anything that disconnects us. And I remember talking to the Lord about it and saying, Lord, oh, I just wanted to check out what's so wrong, you know? Working hard, I'm out there preaching. What's so wrong? I just wanted to check out. <laughs> He's so funny. He said, Jeremy, What's the difference between you checking out with three hours of TV and the guy who stops by the local bar to get drunk and check out for three hours every night on his way home? What's the difference? And I thought, liver damage? <laughs> Maybe. And then I realized what I'm feeding on is not doing my liver any good either. So I'm, what I'm telling you is be careful. Be watchful over this temptation to unhook. Intimacy, the intimacy we have with God and with each other has power to produce fruit. But our intimacy has enemies. Are you hearing me? There are enemies to your intimacy. And we've got to be on the guard. Husbands, wives, be on the guard against those things that try to get between us to prevent this fellowship. Maybe we'll talk about it in the weeks to come, but I'm telling you, there are, there are very real enemies to your intimacy. Distractions, dishonor, selfishness. All of these things are what I was so beautifully displaying as I laid in the same bed, but on the other side of the world from this gift of God. No fellowship, no intimacy, no fruit. There is a flow of life that God intended to flow to each other, through each other. And it's supposed to produce fruit. Our fellowship in this church is going to produce proof there is a God. Amen. And these people in this community, in these neighboring cities... They're going to come, they're going to see the fruit, and there'll be, there'll be nothing left to say, but there's a God, and He's good, and look what He's done. Stand on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sarah, come on up, sweetheart. Thank you, Lord.
What did I miss in this? There's something else the Lord needed to say, and I didn't hear it. The word, come on, Jay. The word fellowship is also the word partnership, and it's also can be the definition can be a cementing together. And a lot of people they take their fellowship with God and don't realize where it is where the fruit is, where the fellowship should be. So they have fellowship maybe with their family at home, but they have no idea where their family of faith is, where that family is that they're called to fellowship with at church. And you can have joy at your fam with your family at home, but until you hook up with that family of faith where you're called to be, you will not enjoy that joy in fellowship. You won't experience that cementing together that the Holy Spirit, He's the glue. He's the one that cements us together. And I think about our staff and all the years that we've had together. You know, not one person that's been on our staff for all these years has ever left us. They have always, they have been there. They have, we have been glued together. And the only way that happens is by the Holy Spirit gluing you together. And there's people, there are people coming from all over the place, moving here to be a part of Legacy Church and to be a part of this family of fellowship and fellowship with this family. It's so important for us to come together and know who we're called to be with. This is not, your church is not supposed to be a, a, like a fling, <laughs> a fleeting fling, like a, you know, a, a relationship that's just casual. Casual. <clears throat> but it's something that is ordained by God. You know, the sharing of something. What are we sharing together in? We're sharing together in the Word, in His presence. And here's a big one for the church family, in His purpose. And if God has called you here, and if you're watching online, if God has called you here, it's the fellowship is for a purpose, sharing together in his purpose for the kingdom of God and for our lives. So, oh. I'll tell you what Jesus said there in John 15. We looked at it, but it was a powerful statement. He looked at his disciples and he said, no longer do I call you servants. I'm calling you friends. I'm calling you friends. That's an elevated relationship. And he said, I'm calling you friends because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. He said, but everything my father gave me to give to you, I've given all of it. That's openness. That's honesty. That's transparency. That's communication. And a servant lives on a need to know basis. But when we're friends in our fellowship with him and each other, we're in the know. He has put us in the know of what his plan and his purpose is. He calls us friends. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.